are in a series, and we're wrapping that series up, to, up today. And we've been talking about the king's arrival. And the underlying tone of what we've been communicating about over the last couple of weeks, and Pastor Mike has kind of alluded to it already this morning, is, is hope. One of the key needs of all humanity is hope. And I believe that that desire of hope is in us because of where we originally came from. If we look back in the garden, Adam and Eve, there, they were right there with God, communing with him all the time. But imagine what happened when that communion was broken. They've been searching for that hope. Humanity has been searching for that hope ever since then. And, and when we lose hope, especially as believers, when we lose hope, we begin to lose our peace. We began to lose our joy. And furthermore, we began to, to doubt God. We began to doubt the promises of God. We began to doubt the very things that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to restore unto mankind. We began to doubt those things because we have lost hope. Last week, as Pastor Mike was talking about the king's arrival, we talked about how his arrival didn't quite meet the expectations of everybody. And I bet there are some of you in the room today that will feel like your expectations in terms of what you have read or what has been communicated to you or maybe yet, maybe how you feel on the inside, your personal relationship with God. You may feel that, that the expectations in your relationship with God has not been met. But I believe the scripture was very clear and Pastor Mike communicated the scripture last, last week and this was a conversation between Pilate and Jesus in John 18, 37, he, he makes his purpose very clear. This helps us to temper our expectation. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this person I have come into the world. And here it is, to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. And that's what Jesus has been doing ever since he has been born into this world. He is bearing the truth. So we can stand proud and boldly today to know that the prophecies of old has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has been born. Jesus Christ has been born. The prophecies of old has been fulfilled. And I love the song that we sang. We said, no other king has given up his throne. Basically what we said, no one else could accomplish this. Adam has, was not able to accomplish this. Abraham Gave it a good try, but he was not able to accomplish this. Moses was not able to accomplish this. Even David, a man after God's own heart, was not able to accomplish what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has been able to accomplish in this earth. Let's give it up one more time for what he's already done. This week, we want to talk about the King is coming again. The king is coming again. We want to leave no stone unturned in your mind in terms of the assurance that the king is coming again. One of the greatest indicators of future performance is to look back to see what the past performance looks like. And the scripture is just full of truth and prophecy that has already been accomplished. So we're going to take a quick glance at some of those things today. Just to let us know that we can have even more confidence today that as we sit, that Jesus is capable of doing everything that he said 
that he would do. We want to come forth today and present all the evidence. Is that all right? We just want to present the evidence as they lay. So let's see what the scripture says about this great day. Now, of course, you remember last week we, uh, we talked about uh, the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Today we want to pick the story up right at Jesus' crucifixion. Our first scripture is going to be found in Matthew 27, verse 51. And just before this scripture, we're all familiar with the story. Jesus cries out in a loud voice, and the scripture lets us know that he releases his spirit. So I want to kind of set the tone there, because this is what's happening here in Matthew 27 and 51. He says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city. I'll tell you, Jesus is coming again. This was no ordinary day that's being described here in Scripture. Not an ordinary day. But I want to point out some of the significance. There's two or three points that I want to point out. The first is that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, we're not talking about that little thin curtain that you guys may have. My mother used to call it a sheer, that little thin piece. That you can probably tear that. But some other theologians would say that that, that, that that curtain was like four inches thick. It was 20 cubits. We'll let you know if you convert the cubits, it was about 30 feet high. Now, you tell me what man on this earth is capable of tearing the veil, something that dense, something that big, from top to bottom. Nobody and nothing but the power of Jesus can accomplish such feat. He is coming again, and this is a good indicator. He is quite capable right here by this demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. This vivid description of this veil, think about this veil. And we're not going to go into talking about the temple and of how we went from the, from the holy place to the holy of holies. But there was significance to this veil and the fact that it was torn. This, 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 this was a, a vivid separation between God and man. You see, back during that time, you couldn't just walk in and worship the God freely the way we had to done today. You had to have the high priest and he went in once a year. Once a year. To ask for forgiveness for your sins. But prior to that, he had to actually have forgiveness of his sins. But once that veil was torn, guys, no longer do we have to send somebody else ahead of us to be able to worship and to commune with our God. No longer. We can walk into the Holy of Holies and, and entertain and worship God whenever we get ready to. Whenever we get ready to. Scripture had already let us know. And if we had paid attention to what Jesus had already said, he says, y'all remember when he said this? He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple. When he tore that veil, when he tore that veil, in essence, he was destroying the old temple. How many of you now know that you, your body, you and your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? How many of you know that today? How many of you know that? That's where the Holy Spirit rests and abides now. Inside of each of us. Inside of each of us. 
The second thing that is significant here is that the earth shook. The earth shook. Scripture lets us know that even the earth responded to this amazing event. Even the earth responded. Guys, what more can we do and should we do to praise and worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? The third thing I want to point out as it relates to this scripture is that the saints who were dead were raised, and there were many witnesses of that. Now, if this didn't cause people to believe, then what would? But I would want you to reflect so much back on them. Because, guys, we got the whole scripture. We got all of the word of God in front of us. We got this story laid out in multiple different facets in the Gospels. But yet and still, in spite of all that has been done, we still have those that don't believe. And this is what the sad part of the story was. The elders and the high priest, the scripture goes on to let us know. They said, let's hide the evidence. Let's hide the evidence. Once they come out of this, they were so concerned about what was going to happen. They said, let's hide the evidence. This was the beginning of the biggest cover-up of all time. The biggest cover-up of all time. And it was the high priest and the elders. This is what they said specifically. They said, tell the people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while he was yet asleep. <laughs> That's what he was saying. That's what they were saying. And then it says he gave me a sufficient sum of money. We're talking about fake news, right? <laughs> I would say this was probably one of the biggest and the best right here. And the enemy has been trying to keep Jesus in that tomb ever since this day. Ever since that day, he's been trying to cover up what really took place. But he, has, he was very, very unsuccessful in doing that. It was too late. It was too late. The cat had been let out of the bag. God's plan for redemption for mankind was far beyond the point of return. In, in fact, Colossians 2 and 15 says, and if you ever want to want, 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 ever wonder what was going on, Jesus had died on the cross and he was buried. If you ever wonder what was going on during that time, during that three-day time frame. Again, we're trying to build a case that if we truly believe that Jesus is coming again, let's look at some of the things that he has already done. Colossians 2 and 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Guys, that's powerful news right there. That is good news right there. What Jesus was doing right there, he was disarming the enemy. He was disarming him of all the fear, all the harm, all the power that he had against humanity at that time. He was disarming him. So we talk about the evidence. That's what was happening during that time. Acts 1 and 3 goes on to talk about the time that after Jesus was resurrected. He goes on, again, we're talking about evidence. He goes on and says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many, many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15 and 6 says, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. 
And guys, we're not talking about somebody like 150 years later trying to tell you of a story that happened. This was, this was right after this all happened. This is right after 40 days. He appeared to over 500 people, basically letting them know that all the things that I've already told you that I was going to do, even up to being raised from the dead, is true and accurate. And he was beginning to go around, and he was showing himself to, any, to, to, to individuals. John 20 and 27, this is when he was communicating with Thomas. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Jesus is still communicating that same message to us today. Believe. Will you believe? Will you believe? After all that I have done, will you believe? I believe we got a screen that's going to show a whole lot more scriptures. And if you're at home, particularly over the holidays, and you want just some more verification that, that Jesus did appear we got a list of scriptures. You can take a picture of them. Look through of them. Look through those scriptures, and you'll see that where Jesus did exactly what he said that he would do. Forty days left on the clock. Forty days left on the clock. Jesus still never let up. He never let up. He was relentless. He kept the main thing, the main thing, and he was still preaching kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what I like about our last series. And I'm so glad we had an opportunity to get a better understanding of the kingdom of God and what our role is in the kingdom of God as believers today. But Jesus never let up. He was still talking about and speaking about the kingdom of God. His last 40 days on this earth, he was focused on what the Father had called him to do. Now, let's take a step back. And look at this through the eyes of his disciples. And you can imagine that they're still somewhat distraught. They're still somewhat shocked. They're still somewhat in disbelief. And Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. I'm sure during that time they were probably wanting to talk a little bit about this Roman government. And how they had been treating them so bad. I'm sure they wanted to talk a little bit about the persecution. Lord, what about the church? I'm sure they wanted to talk about the high taxes that the Roman government had placed upon them. I'm sure they wanted to talk maybe about how difficult it was now to be able to, to go to the synagogues and to pray the way that they had been taught to pray. But Jesus was still talking about the kingdom of God. And this is where we have to catch ourselves, saints. Even today, we must keep our eyes and we must keep our focus on the kingdom of God. There are so many things that can distract us. Whether you are a liberal or a conservative or did your president win. These are all things I'm sure that people were, were thinking about even just after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, those are small little victories for the enemy when he can get us distracted and get our focus off of them, off of Jesus. But Jesus heard them and he was completely aware of all their concerns. All of the concerns that we have today, Jesus knows about them. He's aware. But he went, went on to tell them about the greatest key to the success for their ministries as they were about to move forward. He tells them about the Holy Spirit. He tells them that he knows exactly what lies ahead. And he begins to tell them about the Comforter. 
He began to tell them that I know that you're not going to be able to accomplish this in your own strength. He began to tell them about the aspect of God that lives and empowers and inspires man even to this very day. He began to tell them about the Holy Spirit. So he didn't miss their, dismiss their claims or concerns, but he did keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's see what Scripture says in Acts 1 and 4 through 7. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. He ordered them not to depart, but to wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He told them to wait. When I look at that word wait, it implies that we're going to need a little bit of faith to carry this thing out. Guys, we have a mindset just as the disciples had here. We want stuff immediately. But even then, Jesus began to teach them the importance of wait. He was letting them know that this was going to be worthwhile. He let them know plainly and clearly that you're not going to be able to accomplish these things in and of your own strength. He also let them know that in this period of wait, he was sending them a strong message that you're not going to be able to create this on your own. He goes on to say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He was still, they were still focused on the things of today. In church, we do some of the same things. Jesus was trying to tell them about the kingdom of God. They were still talking about the kingdom of Israel. Even today, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And many of us, and all you have to do is look at Facebook and look at the news. We're talking about the kingdom of the United States of America. In so many instances, we are doing and behaving just as they were. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Sometimes we can begin, begin to look for signs and wonders too hard. Losing focus of what God has really caused, called us to. So Jesus go ahead and answers them. He go ahead and answers. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It is not for you to know. It is not for me to know. No one knows today or the time that he is going to return. Can I let you in on just a small secret? A very, very small secret. You cannot handle God's plan for all of, of humanity. You can't handle it. There was a movie that came out years ago. It says, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle this. It is only for God to know. I'm reminded of a scripture. My wife mentioned this a couple of days ago, and she was talking about Job. And y'all know the story when Job was questioning God. He was going through some challenging times, and we do the same thing. Why, 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 Lord? When are you going to move? We want you to do this. Lord, restore this now. And this is what God said to Job. Brace yourself like a man <laughs> because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Man, that would have been frightening. That sounds like somebody says, okay, bring it. I'll put it up. Put them up. All right? And I was like, gee, Manelli, brace yourself. Like a man, guys, we're not qualified, nor are we capable to understand the plan of our God Almighty. If God revealed the time and the date, 
Y'all know we wouldn't act right. Y'all know we, we can't handle Christmas. We can't hardly handle Christmas. Imagine if God told us the time and the date that he was going to return. We'd be like little kids, focused on anything and overwhelmed by too much. Our minds, we couldn't handle it. I mean, you've seen the commercials or you've seen the little cartoons where the mind just would go, just explode. I think some of us would be like that. We'd be just like them. Again, focusing on our own little world and not the kingdom of God. We can't continue to major in the minors and expect God to move in our lives and in the lives of others the way we would want to really see that in our heart of hearts and certainly not the way that Jesus would love to see that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2 goes on to share just a little bit more information to, 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 to beat in us a little bit more that we do not know. Now, the book of Thessalonians, Paul wrote this book but he told them many things in letters, and he was the one thing that they were concerned about. These were Gentiles. The one thing they were concerned about is when they were going to see their loved ones again and things of that nature. And if you've been to a funeral before, you've heard the, the passage of Scripture read that we don't hope the way the world hopes. This Scripture right here comes right after that. He now says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul is telling them, guys, I don't need to write you nothing else on this. I don't need, we, we don't even need to discuss this anymore. Jesus is going to come when God releases him to come back. We don't have to look for signs and things of that nature. He is going to come just at the right time. But we can rest assured of this. He is coming again. When and how, no man knows. But Paul goes on in that passage to tell them to be alert and to be sober. Sober. People have thought Jesus was coming back ever since he was born. But guess what? No one has gotten it right. The early church thought he was coming back. Nope. Didn't come back when they were anticipating. When the black plague, some of these big events that the world hath experienced, the Holocaust, Surely he's coming back after these devastating things. Nope. 1988, there was a book that was written saying that surely he was coming back. Did he come back in 88? He wrote another book in 89, and he didn't come back in 89 either. <laughs> nope. Y2K. Surely he's coming back. Nope. How many of you still got food left from Y2K? <laughs> Sell it. Don't eat it. <laughs> nope. COVID. Surely he's coming back. No. No man knows the time. What about the book of Revelations? I know you guys have looked in Revelation. I've studied Revelation. We know who the bearer is. Come on now. We got some goats. We got some horns. We got some long horns, some short horns. I'm telling you, it's great to read Revelation. But I'm telling you, if you think you're going to read Revelations and discover where Russia and China and all the rest of Europe is going to play out in this thing, guys, stop it. It is, it's a waste of your time. We must keep the main thing, the main thing. The Bible, the Bible has prophetic apocalyptic implications throughout, but receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ is the Bible's highest priority, and that should be our highest priority, to bring about the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is, and that he is going to come again. As Paul said, stay alert and stay sober. We are called to walk by the Spirit, 
not by the signs. We are called to walk by the Spirit, not by the signs. Let that sink in for a second. Because there are some that have made complete ministries out of talking about the end times. And guys, I'm telling you, if you, if you focus on that and miss the main thing, that's going to be a sad day when Jesus returns. Jesus answered his disciples' questions, and I believe his answer to them is good for us today. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, now let's get back to the story. Acts 1, we finished up with verse 7. Let's pick up in verse 8. And again, the disciples had already asked him about signs and seasons. And, uh, and, and this, this next part is so very important. He goes on and says, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea. Guaranteed power. You will receive this when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Guys, that's why it's so important that we acknowledge the Holy Spirit in our lives. God has called us to a great commission, and he is letting his disciples know here and even letting us know today that we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to, for us to be able to go out and to be his witnesses in all of these different areas. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I like this scripture because prior to this time, during this 40 days, Jesus had been kind of like vanishing and just showing up at different places. But note here, he didn't vanish. He says he was just, he was take, taken up. He allowed them to see him being taken up. And that's exactly what they did. They were watching. I was thinking they were probably watching in amazement. He says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee. And I believe if we were there, he was a people of Wiggins. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who, has taken, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the assurance right there. That's the assurance right there. Just as they saw him go, Scripture is plain and clear that he is going to return in that same manner. But those angels was telling them, hey, guys, we got to be about the mission. You guys need to be scurrying on over into Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming. In order for you to continue to be obedient and to accomplish all that he has put in our hearts to do, to go out and to, to win the loss or to share the gospel with those that don't know him, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does Jesus coming again bring hope? How does that bring hope? How does that speak to us today? The first point is that it is going to bring complete fulfillment of all the promises of God. That's the hope that we have. Scripture lets us know that all things has been put under his feet, yet at present we do not see all things under his feet. But today we see Jesus. Complete fulfillment of all the promises will be through Jesus. If you've been watching sports lately, there's a little thing that comes up and they say, stat that. <laughs> stat that. I like that when we talk about the assurance of God. 100% probability, guys. It's going to happen. 
our role and our heart to be, should be to stay alert and to remain sober. The second thing that is going to bring about and continue to give us the hope that we have today is that we'll have complete restoration of all that was lost. How about this? No more distractions in our communion with God. It'll be just like back in, back in the garden with Adam and Eve. Undisrupted communion with God. Complete unity. Revelations 21 and 4 says it this way. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. So the question for us today is, what do we do now? What do we do now? Yes, Jesus has come. Yes, he has filled us with his Holy Spirit. We have been sealed until the day of redemption. What are we to do now? I believe that our mission states it better than anyone that we've ever had. It says, but we build Christ-centered communities. That's what we're doing here today. This is one of the Christ-centered communities that we have. Church, small group is another one of those Christ-centered communities that we have. We build Christ-centered communities that help people to know God, to grow into Christ, and to go into the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we are to do now. And if that has not been your focus, then this should be your focus. Serving God so that we can uh, uh, share the gospel with others, that's what our focus should be. We need to do this and stay focused on this until Jesus comes. Earlier, we talked about that veil that was torn from top to bottom. Some of you in this room today may not uh, have experienced or asked Jesus to come into your life. Some of you may not be in communion with him at any level today. The reason why he tore that veil was for you. No longer do you have to stand outside and look in, wondering what's going on in the body of Christ. You can now enter in. You can enter in. And I believe today he is extending an invitation to you, to every one of you that don't have a relationship with God. He did it for you. He died on that cross. He defeated the enemy, took that sting of death, that mankind was so fearful for all those years. He said, now you can come unto me, and I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give you joy. That's what it was all for, so that you can have a great relationship with him once again. If you don't have a relationship with God, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. Let's get along with God. Father, we come to you now. God, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't make this complicated. You sent your son, Jesus. He died on the cross. He was raised. And Father, your word now lets us know that he sits at the right hand of you. 
even interceding, God, for the believers. Father God, you sent your Holy Spirit not just for the believer, but God, for also those that do not have a relationship with you to prompt their hearts to lead them to you. Father, we're about to pray and we're going to ask those that don't have a relationship with you to repeat a very simple prayer. And if that's you in this room today and you don't have a relationship with God, please just repeat after me. Go something like this. Dear Lord, I repent of my sins and according to your word, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on my behalf. And I believe that he has been risen from the grave and that he has paid the penalty of my sins. Today, I'd like to receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. On the truth of your word, I believe that I am saved. Amen.